We are continuing our journey through Proverbs. If you have your Bibles, we are in Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. And the title of today's talk is Proverbs of a Father. So I thought today I would start out giving you some Proverbs from a dad. Uh, And really we're going to start out telling a couple dad jokes, all right? So you guys like dad jokes? You know, okay. So if these are terrible, just pity laugh, all right? Fake laugh so that those people online at least think that they're funny, all right? So we're going to start out, you know, personally, I really like telling dad jokes. I mean, sometimes he even laughs. Like I told dad a joke. If I have to explain every one, okay. That was a great one. That was a great one, you know? Uh, all growing up, I didn't really like facial hair, and then it grew on me. Thank you for those. Thank you for those. That was better? All right. You know, do you know which concert costs 45 cents to attend? 50 cent featuring Nickelback. If a child is refusing to take a nap, are they resisting a rest? Right? Right? All right. We're getting there. We're getting there. All right. Okay. I mean, I was going to tell a joke about pizza, but it was a little cheesy. What did the coffee say to the police? I need to report a mugging. Oh, yeah, those are awesome. Thank you, uh, Madison, my daughter, for giving me all of those. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yes. We were sitting around the fire the other night, and she listed up, and she gave us a bunch of dad jokes, and we laughed a lot harder than you did. So I guess it's all in context. All in context, you know, I mean, did you hear the rumor about butter? I'm not going to spread it, right? Okay, okay, we're going to move on. Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 1, all right? Maddie's going to throw that up there on the screen. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to read verse 1 through 10, and then we're going to walk through this. My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years, and your life will be satisfying. Verse 3. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Verse 7. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Verse 10. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. I really hope that you guys are enjoying this journey through Proverbs. If you're not taking this journey with us, that's okay. At least on Sundays you're hearing it. But all throughout the week, we are reading through the book of Proverbs together. It's one chapter a day. So those, there's 31 chapters of Proverbs, 31 days in August. So we're reading one chapter a day that matches with the date. So if you forget or you get behind, don't worry about playing catch-up. The great things about 
Proverbs, and they don't really necessarily build on one another. So you can just start that day. You know, today is August the 9th. You could just start today reading Proverbs chapter 9. And then each week we're preaching out of the Proverbs we read. So last Monday, we read Proverbs chapter 3. And as I was reading through all the week's Proverbs, praying about what to speak today, I couldn't get past Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, I mean, there's some interesting things there about, you know, getting away from the immoral woman on the other Proverbs. But I thought, you know what, we'll just stick in Proverbs 3 because it's got some great truth in there. And these first 10 verses, I just kept coming back to them. So what I want to do is look at these first 10 verses and pick out some Proverbs that Solomon was trying to communicate to his children, uh, to his child, all right, as he was writing those. But really, these Proverbs apply to us today. The first thing, number one, you can write down if you're taking notes, loyalty and kindness bring favor. Loyalty and kindness bring favor. Now, I primarily read out of the New Living Translation here on Sunday mornings. That's kind of our go-to just for consistency's sake. Uh, There's other translations that are wonderful. Uh, Maybe some people have told you that their translations, some are right and some are wrong. By and large, I mean, if it's a respected translation, NIV, NLT, ESV, NASB, in JKV, New King James Version, yeah, in, in, yeah, what are the acronyms, you know, acronym, like by and large, they translate things slightly different because the Hebrew language is different than the English language. In the words in Hebrew, there's depth of meaning in the words, and so the translators try to get the context of what they're saying and then use an English words that, that translates. So by and large, if you're using one of these translations, it's not a right or a wrong way uh, to do it, it's just a different a take on a word that has multiple meanings in Hebrew. So that's what we find here in Proverbs chapter 3. In, in verse uh, that we're reading, verse, what was this, verse 2, I think, uh, it says loyalty and kindness. It says never forget loyalty and kindness. Tie them around your neck. Well, other translations here say love and faithfulness. That we're to remind ourselves, remember love and faithfulness. Other translations say truth and faithfulness. Well, I wanted to kind of go over what do these really mean? Yeah, loyalty and kindness, verse 3 and verse 4. Thank you, Maddie. It wasn't verse 2. Remember, let loyalty and kindness leave you. Well, uh, the ESV translate these as faithfulness and love. But the, the, the Hebrew word for loyalty is the word emet. And what it really means is uh, it's this more than just loyalty. It's more than just faithfulness. It has a deeper and, and more complex meaning. But really, it's talking about that what we say is what we do, that we are reliable, we are loyal. We can be relied upon. That our faithfulness proves true. Okay? Then this word kindness that we see here in the NLT, where it's translated as love, it's the word said, which is an outward expression of goodness towards others. Right? You can see where that would be translated as love. We can see where that's translated as kindness because they communicate uh, the truth of, of what this is, but in a slightly you know, different way, according to how the translators felt in the context it should be communicated. So the Hebrew language has a lot more depth and meaning to individual words and phrases than the English language. The English language is very descriptive, very succinct, and, we, and it's, like high, it's, it's almost hyper-descriptive, where the Hebrew language has a much more roundabout sense in some of these meanings. So what really he's saying is loyalty and kindness or love and faithfulness or truth and love, truth and kindness. What he's saying is that as people, to gain favor with God and to gain favor with people, we need to be people that are loyal and true to what we say and what we do. And we should be expressing goodness, kindness towards others at all times. You want to know how to gain favor in the workplace? Kindness, truth, 
Are we reliable? As believers, we should be the most reliable people on the face of the planet. When we say we're going to do something, we do it. We're reliable. We are loyal to those around us. All right? Kindness. How do we gain favor in our neighborhoods? How do we gain favor on that sports team? How do we gain favor with uh, the people that we want to gain favor with? We're kind. We make it a point to be kind. Verse 4, he says, you'll find favor with both God and people. When we operate out of loyalty, uh, truth, uh, faithfulness, when we operate out of love towards other people, when we are kind, we find favor with God but we also find favor with people. And then look what he says, and you will earn a good reputation. A good reputation is one of those things in life that is so important that we cannot buy. No amount of money can purchase a good reputation. The only way to earn a good reputation is time and to prove ourselves to be faithful, loyal, to be kind and good towards others. So these are proverbs from a father. He says, look, Loyalty and kindness, there's a result in its favor. Favor with God and favor with people. Does that mean everyone's going to like you all the time? No. You can be the most loving and kind person that there is on the planet, and there's probably still going to be a handful of people that just don't like you because that's just life and people, right? But in those times, that's when we can rely, well, God's promised that he's going to shower his favor on us when we're loyal, when we're kind, when we're true, we're faithful, and we're loving towards other people. Number two, if you're taking notes, continual humility and trust bring divine direction. Continual humility and trust bring divine direction. You know, if there's anything that I seem to continue to learn in walking with Jesus is that nothing in our life of faith is a one-time thing. We don't just make a humble decision to follow Jesus one time. It's about this continual humility, that we have a continual dependence upon God, a continual recognition that we cannot do this alone and we are in need of him. And a continual trust. It's not just I trust Jesus with my eternity, but it's that I daily trust him to lead my steps. You know, probably one of the most well-known Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Or a lot of us that learned it differently all growing up, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your understanding and uh, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight, right? Acknowledge him in all your ways. Seek his will in all you do. Acknowledging him in everything that we do. And then God is going to show us which path to take. It's a continual dependence on God, a continual understanding that my, under, my own wisdom, my own knowledge, my own understanding is not enough. I need God. That's this continual humility. That I need God's direction. I need his leadership. I need his wisdom in my life. And seeking his will in all we do is saying, well, his will is, is greater. His will is better. It's this continual humility and this continual trust. It's trusting the Lord with all of us, complete, every single piece of us. You know, uh, I'm a pastor and have followed Jesus for quite a long time. And if someone asked me, do you trust in the Lord? I would wholeheartedly say, yes, absolutely. I trust in God. I trust in the Lord. But I'm continually shown by the grace of the Holy Spirit the pieces of my heart where I still lack trust in the Lord. 
It's not this one-time decision. I trust God, and then forevermore, every decision I make, because I have this overarching trust, it's like there's pieces of me where I lack trust in God. This continual humility, a continual trust, and he'll show you which path to take. That's what brings us divine direction. You know, a number of years back, we uh, had put our house on the market. We were in Colorado. We were moving from one house to another, and we put our house on the market, and to our excitement and joy, uh, someone made an offer on the first day over asking price. We were, we were pumped about it, but they said, we, they need to move in within 30 days. I was like, okay. So that means we have three days to go find an, a house and get under contract somewhere that'll let us move in there in 30 days so we don't have to pack up all of our stuff, put it in storage, and stay in a hotel, which with three kids, uh, I don't want to do that, like, ever. I don't want to do it with no kids. I had three kids in the mix. It's like, I don't want to stay in a hotel. I want to pack up. And then I want to move twice. Like, that sounds like, that just sounds like a little bit of hell on earth to me. Pack up all your stuff, put it in a storage bin, and then get another truck to go load it up back into a truck and then take it somewhere else and unload it. Like, no, that's not worth it. Like, that's not even worth it. Like, no, I won't even sell my house to you. Like, forget it. But we have three days to find a house. We have, we've placed all this pressure on us to, to find a house in three days. And it comes down to it, trying to make a long story, very intricate story, as short as possible. Well, one of them was a for, we come down and we had chosen two houses. One was a foreclosure, much nicer, much bigger house, but it's dealing with a bank. They had multiple offers and there was just this unknown factor about it. And then the other house we had narrowed it down to was more expensive, not as nice, much smaller, much smaller yard, but it was a single owner family and we knew we could go under contract and we knew that we could move in in time. And it's Friday afternoon at about two o'clock and I'm working with the realtor and talking to Brooke and we're discussing it and she's like, the bank is gonna make a decision some point in time today before five o'clock or if they don't make it before five o'clock, you know, they're all off for the weekend and so our window will be closed. Like you won't be able to move out of the house in time and all that. So we have to make a decision on this today. Now the other house, you know, we could talk tonight or tomorrow morning or anything like that. What do you wanna do? I'm like, well, so we had made a, an offer on the house that the bank owned and we went ahead and put in an offer on the other house as well. And then they had countered, so we're kind of sitting here just waiting. And we're praying, and we're trying to decide what is best. And Brooke and I are on different pages, which none of you are ever on different pages with your spouse, right? Like, you guys always agree on everything. It's just Brooke and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't necessarily agree. 4.50, the bank calls and says, okay, put in your highest and best offer. And I'm sitting here thinking, that was the highest and best. Like, that's all, what does that even mean? And so the realtor says, well, they're just trying to get everybody to offer more money, which probably means you're not gonna get it. What, what do you think we should do? I said, well, I'm gonna call Brooke and we're gonna pray. And I called and we just prayed. And in this moment, I, we had been so torn over this three-day period. But in this moment, as we begin to pray, I just felt this peace. And I said, babe, I feel like we should go for the, the one the bank owns. I feel like that's, that, that's where I, I, I feel like that's, I have this peace about this and God's, it's, it's scary, but I think that's what we should do. And she says, absolutely. As I was praying, that's what I thought as well. So we called back the realtor and I said, hey, I think that we're gonna go for the bank house. And she goes, okay, what's your highest and best offer? I said, that's it. Well, we already submitted. Like, don't add any more money to it. And she goes, all right, Nathan. Well, if you guys pray and feel a peace, we'll just go for it. So she called them back, 455. 4.57, I get a call from her, and she goes, I I've, would have never guessed, would have never believed they accepted your first offer, and the bank accepted your offer. 
We were like, what? We were so ecstatic. Now, the, the, the prudent kind of, uh, you know, provider that's nervous to provide for my family in those moments, if I had not consulted God, would have never chosen that. I would have gone the safe route. It's like, better safe than sorry. I heard that a lot growing up, you know. Uh, it's like, I would have gone the safe route. But we prayed and we had this piece of, okay, we're going to go for it. And I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but then what ensued over the next four weeks was insanity. The house that uh, we were selling did not sell for the amount. Uh, it didn't appraise for the amount, so we had to drop the price. And so all of a sudden, uh, all this cushion that we had was leaving. And then the bank wanted this up front. We had to give this earnest money. And then things were getting pushed back because it was a foreclosure. And all this crazy stuff happened. Long story short, we had one more day to, to close on the house. So like, it comes in the last minute to, for them to accept our offer. Then the very last day we could close before we lost our interest rate and all that and had to pay, I think it was $2,000 just to lock, keep our interest rate locked in for the 30 days. 4.58 p.m., we're in downtown Denver signing the papers to get this house. Like, it was insane how God worked this out. So I was stressed out and worried, but God gave us this peace. And to this day, we can look back on this single house that we only lived in for six months because uh, that's a part of our journey and our story. Six months later, we moved to Oregon to pastor a church there. We can look back on this house was, if not the single greatest blessing, one of the biggest and greatest financial blessings of our entire lives that we would have missed out on if we didn't stop and say, all right, God, we're going to trust you to lead us. We're going to trust you. We're going to ask you. We're going to seek your will. And we're going to believe that you're going to show us with which path to take. Now, that's a great story. That's a wonderful story. It encourages me. I could tell you stories where I missed it too, but those aren't as fun, so we'll just keep going, all right? Number three. Number three. Generosity brings generosity. Continual humility, continual trust brings divine direction. When we're about to enter into something, when we're about to, uh, we have to make a decision, just stopping and saying some simple little prayers, God will direct us and he will guide us. Maybe, you know, the next time that you're going in to fight a fire, saying a simple prayer, God lead me. The next time you're walking into a work meeting, the next time you're walking into a classroom, it's God, lead me. I'm submitting my will to you. Guide me, lead me, show me. You know, sometimes we're gonna hear a clear word. Sometimes there's just gonna be this peace, like us with the house. We just had this, this peace about knowing that, all right, God, this is what he's asking me to do, and this is where he's leading me. And so we have this peace, and we can follow that peace. Sometimes we apply our good judgment. We don't have a peace. We don't necessarily hear a whisper from the Lord. We just hear, all right, we know scripture. We're applying our good judgment, and we're trusting that he is going to direct our path. And I firmly believe that other times God just lets us choose. He just lets us choose. Like, here's the, here's the options. God, please. You know, when I've met with a lot of high schoolers when we were youth pastors, like, just show me which college to go to. God, should it be this one or should it be this one? Like, just give me, like, because this one decision makes everything else in my life is going to fall, fall into place. And if I miss it and I go to the wrong college, everything else is going to, you know, go bad. And I, and I would tell them, like, pray, absolutely. But I, sometimes God just says, why don't you just decide? Like, he just lets us choose. There are things that we seek God's will for, that we seek his direction for. And there are other things that we see in scripture that we apply our good judgment, that we apply the principles of scripture, and this is one of those. We don't have to seek the will of God to know if we should live generously. Because we know that generosity brings generosity. In verse 9, he says, 
Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Now, obviously, verse 10 is poetry, okay? It doesn't say honor the Lord and be generous, and then all of a sudden, you don't have a barn, but guess what? One's going to sprout up in your backyard, and it's going to be full of grain. It's like, well, that's useless. I don't know how to turn it into whatever you make stuff. What do you make with grain? Bread? Right? Yeah, bread. Obviously, I'm not a farmer. All right? So he's like, your vats will overflow. This is poetry. All right? He's not saying, well, like, if you're gener- you honor the Lord with your wealth, you're generous towards other people, then all of a sudden, you're going to have vats that show up in your basement, and they're going to be full of wine. And it's like, that's not good. Like, I don't need that. Like, that doesn't help. Like, it's poetry. What he's saying is, generosity brings generosity. When we live generously, it unlocks the generosity of God in our lives. You know, I know uh, a friend who owns a business, and he told me a a story years ago when I was first starting out doing websites and uh, starting to do, you know, we were pastors full-time and then doing websites, graphic design on the side to kind of make some money so that we can have enough for our family to live and all that. And I got some of the best advice I ever got from someone. He owned a business, and he said, you know what, Nathan? It was similar to like a web design type of thing where it's a client-to-client business. If you don't have a new client, then you're not making money, like construction. If you don't have a new project, you finish a project, then you, you go to the next one. And I asked him, I was like, man, what do you do when like, you, you don't have work? Like you don't have the next project lined up. He said, Nathan, somebody told me this years ago, and I'll tell you the exact same thing. Every single time, every single time I don't have another project lined up to piggyback on the one that I'm doing, every single time I give away a project for free to someone I know that can't pay for it. I'll go build them a deck, build them a pergola. I'll do something and I'll just do it for free. He says, and every single time I do that, my projects get thrown back to back to back and I have too much business that I can't even do. He says, there's something about this. When you live generously, it just unlocks the generosity of God. You know, I know another business owner that they started his own business, kind of was a family business and it was very small. It was a very small business and started out just him working by himself and then you know, added his son eventually. And now it's grown into this massive multi-million dollar company. And even to this day, this massive company that they have, they don't have a physical sign anywhere and they've never advertised anything. He said, early on, Nathan, early on when we started out, I was praying that God would bless this. And God told me, if I will just honor him and when I see someone in need and something that as a business we can provide to them for free, when we provide for them for free, God would take care of the rest of it. And this little business that was just me at first and then me and my sons has grown into tons of employees, multi-million dollars, because God promised if we were generous, that he'd be generous to us. Now, sometimes when we think of generosity, we simply think of money. Both of these men, they didn't actually give physically out of their own money, their own bank accounts. They, the best part of the things they produce They said, here's something that I can provide. I can help someone that's in need. I can live generously and I can use my energy. I can use my time. I can use my talents. I can use my giftings to help someone else. And that act of generosity unlocked generosity in their lives. This is a principle from scripture that God says, this is not the only time it talks about this in scripture. When we live generously, not just when we, you know, give to the church. I mean, yeah, not just when we give to missionaries. Those things are good. We're saying, 
whenever we live our lives open-handed, that what we have is not just for us, that what God has given to us is for other people, and we live generously. Sometimes we just think of this idea of generosity with money. Well, maybe today, yes, we should be giving generously, especially to those in need. If we have it, then we need to be giving to those in need. But maybe God wants to kind of change the perspective in your own mind of what, what talent, what ability, what time, what energy do I have that I can help someone else with, that I can honor the Lord with? You know, when, when we give of our time, our energy, our talents, our finances, when we live generously and we honor God, we give to him, we give to his people, we give to his purposes, we give to those in need, he honors that generosity every single time. He honors that generosity. It's a principle in life. Now, let's look at verse 27 and 28. Solomon goes on and he says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Now, I don't have another point with a message that goes with this scripture. I just love these two verses and I felt like we should read them because maybe just spoke to me this week. But when I was reading this, what I begin to realize is so many times what I do, if I see someone in need or if I see someone that I can help, I instantly mentally begin to weigh the, the, the sacrifices or begin to weigh what that means for me. That well, someone, uh, they need groceries and then I can just subconscious, subconsciously begin to compute. Well, I mean, we could help them with groceries, but that means we also, we probably shouldn't go see that movie or like we shouldn't get coffee. And I begin to weigh all these options. And sometimes because I'm too busy weighing the options, the opportunity can even pass. He's like, you know, I mean, I can always just go and do it tomorrow. I love how he writes, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power. If you can do it now, do it now. Don't wait. Don't delay. Don't say, hey, I come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Just do it right now. Be quick to help others. When someone we see deserves it, we shouldn't weigh out the sacrifices and the things we have to give up. We should be quick to say, all right, you're in need. I can help. I'm going to help. Now, in verse 29 through 31, Solomon talks about, uh, he says, don't plot harm. Don't pick fights. Don't envy violent people. And then he finishes up verse 32 through 34. Such wicked people are detestable, those who plot violence, those who do evil deeds. They're detestable to the Lord. But the Lord, God, offers his friendship to the godly. The New American Standard Bible translates the word friendship here to intimacy. He says, the Lord offers intimate friendship. He offers intimacy to the godly. Now, we look at this word godly and a lot of us growing up, maybe in Christian circles or not in Christian circles, we instantly start attributing all these attributes to the word godly. Well, those are people that do this right and do this right and do this right. No, no, no. The godly are those who believe in Jesus. We're not righteous because of our own works. We're righteous because of the works of Jesus on the cross. So when he's saying he offers friendship to the godly, it's not those who get it right all the time because no one does. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. He offers friendship to his people to those who have been called righteous because of his son. The Lord curses the house of the wicked, but look what he does for the home of the upright. He blesses the home of the upright. Verse 34, the Lord mocks the mockers, but he is gracious to the humble. There's that word humble again. It's continual humility. What does it do? It helps us find grace. 
So, number four, last thing you can write down in your notes. If you believe in Jesus, you believe that he's the son of God, he died on the cross, and that he rose from the dead, and you believe he has the power to forgive your sins, you are a child of God. You've been adopted, you've been grafted in the family, and you are what the New Testament calls co-heirs with Christ. Meaning the things that have been given to Jesus as the son of God, you get to share in that inheritance. You are a child of God. And as a child of God, as a godly, righteous person, not because of your good works, not because you get it perfect, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross, God offers you intimate friendship. He offers an intimate friendship to you. God desires to be so near to you. You know, these Proverbs that we're reading over these 31 days, these promises that we read, they are not about religious duty. They are all about the closeness and the nearness of our Heavenly Father. As we read these Proverbs, as we digest this wisdom from the wisest man who's ever lived on earth, it's all about this intimate friendship He's saying most of this, this is what it means to know and live with God. God offers us intimate friendship. These are about the nearness, the closeness of our God. Our God desires to be close to each and every one of us. He desires to be near to each and every one of us. He offers intimate friendship to us. Brooke told me I had to say that twice. He offers intimate friendship to us. Or the week, she was looking over, she's like, you should say that part twice. So I'm gonna say it three times. He offers intimate friendship to us. The next time you've made a mistake and you're feeling so guilty, you're saying, woe is me, I'm a terrible person. The only thing you have to do to get right with God is ask for forgiveness, repent. As soon as you do that, intimate friendship is yours. Right standing with God is yours. He offers us intimate friendship. Not only that, God offers us perpetual blessing. Perpetual blessing. Now, I want to talk about this just just for a moment, all right? So, yeah, we got a few minutes here. Hang with me on this perpetual blessing thing, all right? Sometimes, followers of Jesus, and I've met some of them over the years, sometimes followers of Jesus get so used to living miracle to miracle like they always need another miracle. Like they're always on the brink of disaster. And if God doesn't show up, and if he doesn't miraculously provide in this moment, then it's all kind of come crashing down. I firmly believe that is not the way God wants us to live. He does not want us to live where we're constantly in need of a miracle. He wants us to live in a place where we are uh, receiving the perpetual blessing of God. Where we live in a place where the favor of God follows our life, and we can count ourselves blessed because we are his children. The sense of, I don't always need a miracle to save me from disaster. He's given us the truth in his word that if we apply it, we can begin to live in a perpetual. Does that, does that mean we're never going to need a miracle? No. There are times where we're going to need a miracle. There's going to be times where we need God to show up. But if we need God to show up every single week, or everything comes crashing down, don't think the issue is God's operation in our life. It's the way we're, we're choosing to live. He offers us, he blesses the home of the upright. He offers us a perpetual blessing. Now, perpetual blessing is not about bigger house, better car, more money, all right? 
perpetual blessing is not about material things. Because of uh, a warped kind of merge of Western ideals and culture and faith, there's so many believers that believe that God is like their cosmic vending machine. It's like, well, I'm going to live in the perpetual blessing. That means he's going he's to give me a bigger house. I'm going to give me a better car. And if he's not doing that, then I must be living wrong because everything's going to be a blessing. And I'm just going to get more and more and more. Like, the perpetual blessing we're talking about here, I'm not, it's not a prosperity gospel, all right? It's not like, well, do all this. and then, No, what we're saying is God's going to bless us. His blessing is going to reside over our lives. And sometimes that has nothing to do with money and materials. The blessing of God is love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit operating in, around, through, and with us and our families. You know, Jesus told us, don't worry about what you wear. Don't have, you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. I'm going to take care of your needs. God takes care of the birds in the air, and he takes care of the fields. He's going to take care of you, right? He's going to take care of us. That means we're going to have what we need, not necessarily what we want. So we see this. We're gonna live, we want to live in the perpetual blessing of God. What that means is we don't have to live miracle to miracle. That means we're trusting God. He's going to provide what we need, and we see his blessing around us. That's why, you know, I've talked about this so many times here of making lists of the things that God has done for us in the past. Because really what it does, it shows us is that God has blessed us and he is with us. And we can live in this place. It's something that he offers his children and God offers his kids abundant grace. What does abundant grace mean? It just means it never runs out. Grace never runs out. No matter how many times you fail, no matter how many times you mess up, there's always enough grace for you to come back. There's always enough grace from the Heavenly Father. To say, he, he, he's offering us abundant grace. There's enough. It never runs out. You know, as we walk through Proverbs, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for all of you that you will hear the things that God wants to say to you in the times you need to hear them. And that you'll hear the things God needs you to know now that you need to apply into the future. And this morning, what's your next right step? We've talked about quite a few things today. What's your next right step? Maybe it's to up your loyalty game. It's to realize, you know what? I haven't been real reliable. I haven't been real faithful in the workplace, at the, the home, the neighborhood, the sports game, whatever it may be. It's like, you know, I need to up that. I need to up my loyalty game. I need to make sure that what I say is true and I live up to it. Maybe your next right step is to up your kindness game. You'd say like, you know what, man, I do these things well, but I don't think the people around me would consider me a kind person. You should change that. Kindness is not like a personality trait. It's like, well, I'm just not kind. It's not inside of me. Well, the scripture says we're supposed to be kind as Jesus followers. So guess what? That's probably something he wants to help you in. Maybe your next right step is saying those simple, humble prayers, beginning to seek God's guidance and advice when we have to make a decision. We've got to move forward in this way or, or that way. And maybe your next right step is to begin to live generously. And whatever that means for you, you know, whatever, living generously means some things to some of us and other things to others of us, and, and that's okay. Some of us, it's our time, it's our energy, and it's our talent. Some of us, it's our finances. Some of us are, it's uh, in a completely different way. It's serving someone in our neighborhood or, or whatever. I don't have time. I already went over all that. I have to go over again. Maybe that's your next right step. 
Maybe your next right step is just to accept God's invitation for close friendship. Maybe it's to accept, accept God's invitation of grace. Maybe you've been beating yourself up and you've been living under what Scripture calls condemnation, meaning you feel so guilty and so shameful for the things that you've done that you're not living free. And you just need to accept the invitation of grace. Say, because of God's grace, I can start fresh. Because of God's grace, he, can, he, will, he will forgive me for all that, and I'm going to start living free and new. Maybe it's to accept God's invitation of perpetual blessing. Maybe even to reorganize what that means in your life. I don't know what your next right step is. But whatever your next right step is, for you personally and individually, we're going to pray over that. And then you guys know if you put on the connection card, our prayer team prays for you. Uh, we'd love for you to do that. But this is not about me getting you to fill this out. I mean, I want you to, but it's not about that. It's about you understanding, what does God want me to do next? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Proverbs. God, we thank you for the wisdom of Solomon that you gave to him, the divine wisdom that you imparted to him that we get to read and receive from. God, I pray that as we walk through this today, as we think about our lives, we think about the areas where we uh, can grow and get better. I pray that you would just reveal to us what is our next right step. We begin to apply that. God, I pray that if there's any of us that are feeling condemnation, feeling ashamed, I pray that your grace would come in right now. God, I pray if there's any that maybe haven't been reliable in the past, they can say, you know what? I'm going to be full of integrity. I'm going to live faithfully. Maybe there's some of us that just haven't been kind. You'd show us our next step is just to start operating out of kindness, out of love towards others. We trust you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.